Good evening Love and welcome And welcome to Monergy Life. Hello, Hilda. Are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I sure can. Can you hear me? I can. Excellent. I was just just about to introduce you to the listeners. And um, for all our listeners, uh, this is uh, Hilda Miller, president of HMC Consulting Group in Miami. Hilda, welcome to Monergy Life. Well, thank you for having me. It's absolutely I appreciate my the opportunity. Pleasure. Oh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's my pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, Hilda has been uh, working with companies for, I believe, almost twenty years in terms of uh, increasing productivity, and and uh, you've developed uh, something called the Twelve Steps to Business Sobriety. And I'm intrigued by that because it's a 12, another 12-step program, but geared toward the whole different uh, dynamic. You want to explain that a little bit, Hilda? Actually, it started out as the 30 steps to business sobriety for the workaholic. But that was too exhaustive, too difficult. So right. I broke it down to 12 steps, and I mirrored the program that is designed for alcoholics and drug addicts because I found in my travels working with small to medium-sized businesses throughout the United States and Latin America that business owners and alcoholics have one thing in common. Workaholics. And what would that be? They're they're in denial. They're in denial. They need a step program to see themselves. Yes, it's quite fascinating because, you know, literally they can't see themselves. They own a business. They nurture the business. Either they're running their business or their business is running them. And I'm only called in when there's trouble (laughs) or to avoid trouble. So the task at hand is, is quite challenging, as you can imagine, because to get someone to admit they are powerless over their addiction, in this case, workaholism workaholism versus alcoholism, is the first step to survive. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And do you feel that a lot of American businesses suffer from, from having a, a, a large preponderance of workaholics in their midst? They do, and they're growing by the day because they're not aware of the systems and procedures that are available to help them cure themselves from this addiction because they typically don't recognize that they have this problem. But you go and sit at a bar or go in a social gathering, and you will hear nine times out of ten, people are discussing their frustration with either their workplace and or their business. It's kind of funny to me, you know, during good economy, businesses take credit for running great businesses. That same business owner during a bad economy will blame the economy for the bad business. What gives? McDonald's is still hiring. I Mm -hmm. always say, you know, if you've got systems and procedures in place, you can be flexible and adapt to the ever-changing tides of the economy. Because if you're relying on the economy to run a successful business, 
good luck. <laughs> it's just, it, it comes from within. I, I like to look at the work that I do as, as from within. You, you, you have to muster up the discipline to be able to sit down and put together a business plan and, and put together a budget and actually write job descriptions. And then you as a business owner need to take the time to catch people doing things right instead of complaining about all the time about your employees. You need to sit down and evaluate what it is that you expect from your employees. I mean, really, people don't do what's expected. They do what's inspected. And if you don't tell them in advance what you expect of them, then how do you expect them to do what they're supposed to be doing? I, I love that, um, and I could tell that you bring uh, a strong spiritual element to your work because the whole idea about looking inward rather than blaming what is considered to be the economy, the headline economy, I call it, because in reality, even with the, the recent uh, gyrations that we've seen in the national economy, there are 300 million economies in the United States. There never was one. And I think that people who defer to the so-called economy or the so-called recession, which may or may not be ending, are making a really big mistake because each business rises and falls on its own initiative, on the talent of its staff and the work that it does. And I, I believe that it's almost irrelevant what the headline economy is in determining how a business is going to um, thrive. Totally agree. It, it, back to the denial. Blame it on the upside instead of taking the initiative of doing something within. Because in order to make changes, you must be aware, first of all, of how you are contributing to that dis-ease or that economic downturn within your own business. And you're actually mirroring in your own business what's going on in the economy. So you're accepting that as an excuse. Therefore, that's your mantra. You know? Right. Instead of, instead of mustering up the energy or getting the resources that you need to actually sit down. I mean, there's a gazillion websites to write down how to put a business plan together or set some goals or, or you know, how, how to transition your skill set into another career and or your business. Um, in fact, on my website, www.msbizdoc.org, if I may so say, you can download the 12 Steps to Business Prosperity for the Workaholic, and there you will see the parallel between the way I've worded these steps which are backed by management procedures to the Alcoholic Anonymous 12 Steps, because I think that there's a parallel there. I've observed, you know, many, many workaholics become alcoholics, and then they get sick, <laughs> and then they don't know how to recover because they keep blaming the outside for something that is an inside job. Right. Well, you know, it's all it's so interesting because uh, I think you, uh, well, I'm sure you realize this already, that you have your work cut out for you because the times that we're living in are really challenging times on multiple levels, I believe. And anyone who's involved in a business, particularly small or medium-sized entrepreneurs, which I believe you're focusing on now in terms of helping, uh, you know, they have challenges on every front that they have to deal with on a daily basis and it's not easy but it's certainly rewarding if you have the right approach 
uh, which is something that I think you can offer to these companies. And if you have an open mind, I think today if you don't have an open mind, you're pretty much dead in the water. Well, what I found entrepreneurs to have is a spirit. They have a spirit of being open because that's key to their survival. Because as um, trends are changing and as the technology is uh, changing how we do business, you really have to have an open mind. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt and overcome. So without that's a vital component to running a successful business, especially a small business, because they don't have systems and procedures. They don't have anything to fall back on. They're, they have all they have is their open mind, their wits, their ability to make decisions and hire the right people and do the next right thing and and make it happen. But they have to have consistency in their organization if they expect their employees to be there with them. So I find that a lot of these business owners are fail to transition into having sustainable businesses because they don't take a step back and take a look at how they're contributing to their own concerns by not implementing the systems and procedures, something so basic as, you know, do you have a business plan? You'd, you'd be amazed, Robert, how many people say no. I, I really? Business, how long? Yeah. More and more these days, now that they have, you know, free business plans on the web, and it's changing a little bit also with uh, workshops through SCORE, which also I'm a volunteer for. And, um, you know, just the, the awareness is there because, it's become more mainstream, and, and I think even universities are adapting the concept of developing entrepreneur curriculums now because they realize, it. I believe, last I checked, small business owners comprise over 65% of the workforce in the United States. Can you imagine? And, well, and they you know, can't really afford Yeah, that figure sounds about right because I know in the presidential debates they were talking about that, and it, it seems like that's about what they were talking in terms of the percentages. The huge part of our economy. Huge, huge, huge. And if they're not run efficiently, then, of course, people are not going to be excelling in their workplace and they're going to be a little concerned and anxious because if, if a company is not running efficiently and able to create a business plan that identifies a budget with a net profit margin <laughs> versus gross revenue, um, then there's not going to be any money left in that organization to be able to distribute benefits, which are badly needed by by the labor force in the United States. And, and where is that money going to come from? It's going to come from running efficient operations that enrolls everyone through an incentive program so that they realize that they're contributing or not to the organization and or their future. And And, and it's almost like what I do is I put business owners to kind of like a little boot camp, you know, they – they they kind of don't quite understand what's involved at first, but they, one thing for sure, they love to see me go. <laughs> because when I <laughs> when I leave, they're done and they're on their own. It's almost like you you know you go through boot camp and suddenly now you have to work out for yourself. I've had some very successful clients like um, a plumbing subcontractor in Belgrade, Montana. It was just awesome. He actually buckled down. We worked till like wee hours in the morning putting together all these different programs, incentive plans. We we converted their, their labor force to become owner-operator 
guys that were responsible for maintaining their trucks, their estimates, their jobs, and it, it really it made a huge difference because they took ownership, and it was because the owner of this company saw the benefit, and the benefit was the solution to his concerns. And basically right. what I do is like a doctor. I go in and take a like an MRI. I do a little checkup from the <laughs> neck up, first of right. all. <laughs> you know, and that's one area that a lot of business owners don't quite get, but they do get after we've done a survey. And then I look at, you know, I sit down and I show them, okay, point, boom. You say that you can't get good employees. Well, how good are, would you like to be your manager? I always ask them that. Number one, mm-hmm. then what? What we we are, you know, you need to increase sales. Undoubtedly, everyone needs to increase sales. Hello, but <laughs> okay, so you increase sales, but it's like you have this bucket full of water and you have a hole. You know, the water inside the bucket is draining out of that hole, and if you increase sales, it's like water going into this bucket, and it's going to just drain faster. So, increased sales is not the answer. Okay, that's the obvious right. solution. <laughs> just because you have money in the bank doesn't mean you're making money. See, it's not what right. you make, it's what you keep. So how Absolutely. are you going to keep it? You have, you have to. You know about this. I mean, I love your book, Monergy. I mean, my God, that really resonated with me. I realized Robert Fisher has got the pulse on how money flows. Oh, thank and, you so much. It's the same, it's so, I just was so touched by your book because it really mirrors what I'm trying to accomplish with business owners, you know? And sometimes I fire my clients because they're just not going to do the work. And I say, well, you know, there's no point in continuing this assignment because if you're not going to put a business plan together or give me the information so I can plug in the information, then we're just going to go round and round and round in circles and you're not going to move anywhere. Like I said before, no? Yeah, let me ask you something. When you go into a company and you do your initial um, investigation and analysis, what do you tell the owners of the company in terms of the length of time that these 12, 12 steps are going to take? Well, first of all, I tell them the truth. And I can't get to that until I find out what they have to begin with. Like, for example, if I'm going to rewrite a handbook and they have one in place, well, that will just be a revision or modifying what they have. If they don't have one to begin with and we have to write one from scratch, that's another story. So each case is customized based on the client's concerns and where they are. A company that's right. a startup which has nothing to begin with is, is a shot in the dark. It's almost like comparing a renovation to ground-up construction. Yes. You know, you, yes. you don't know what you're going to get when you tear the wall out. So usually, I mean, I come from the construction industry, so I would call it a time and material project where I'm just going to build based on, or, you know, the time it's going to take to actually tear this wall down after we figure out what's inside, then we'll have a better idea. Whereas ground up, well, you have your survey, you've got your site plan, soil test, you know, your documents. You pretty much can do a timeline, and and, and those are a lot easier projects to manage. But um, I, I usually will come up with an action plan based on the concerns, which are the areas that the client sees as issues, which I translate into management procedures, which are lacking. Um, And then I come up with with the number of weeks or hours or whatever, and then we go according to my client's ability to actually implement because I don't like to just throw a lot of paperwork around if the client's not keeping up with the actual work at hand. For example, 
if we are going to put an evaluation program together, then the client has to literally sit down and learn how to evaluate. Otherwise, that procedure Wait. won't make any yeah, sense. Right, and I, and I bet that's something that uh, you encounter a fair amount of resistance in getting in place. <laughs> you know, especially in in uh, in companies that haven't been too rigorous in in their evaluations. Well, you know, they haven't been trained. I find that I have better success working with business owners that have actually come from a structured environment, so they've had some sort of training or idea of, of what it takes to, you know survive in a structured environment versus let's say a carpenter wants to start a business and he does great craftsmanship, you know, great, great, but he doesn't know about cash flow, taxes, QuickBooks. And so that whole end of the business suffers while this person goes out and gets projects and, 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 you know, does what he loves to do. And so there's a big, huge gap. So in, in cases like that, yeah, there's a lot of resistance because this carpenter has never really run a business before, maybe not been in a structured environment. Um, so they really kind of, you know, I find that people tend to default to their comfort level and they don't like to do the uncomfortable things. They don't, they don't, and, and they don't gravitate toward the unknown, which is really what's biting them in the butt kind of thing, you know, <laughs> because those are right. the areas that they need to concentrate in. And, you know, even in my own work, I mean, I, I don't see myself as as well as someone who has been in my industry for a longer period of time. Like Steve Covey is a great guy that I, you know, just love to read about and because he really, you know, got, he really has it. You know, a lot of people out there, uh, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, he also talks about, you know, good is the enemy of great and the whole idea of running a successful business is to get the right people on the bus and then to put them in the right seats and then the bus won't go to the right place. So, you know, stuff like that. But the structure is very hard to implement, like you said, if uh, an employer and a business owner does not understand the value of the structure and they've been running a business for 10, 20 years, they're really, their mind is not trained that way. So those are tough ones. I like right. younger, younger businesses uh, with younger business owners because I tend to, they tend to be more open-minded. I guess they're they're more like they're sponges. They they want to know because they're just starting out. Whereas, whereas if I go to a client that's been around, you know, we've always done it this way, kind of thing. Well, then why do you need me? If you're not going to change, there's no point because that's, we all have yeah, to that change. Yeah, a lot of sense. Absolutely, and. Um, in terms of getting some of these people to become less workaholic, you must have some interesting stories about that. <laughs> because, you Amazing. know, the whole... Amazing. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, because, you know, our society is composed of, you know, people who feel compelled to be workaholics. This is what's encouraged uh, by the media at every turn. And so many people identify their self-worth with what they do and how much time they spend doing it. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how people will brag about how busy they are. And when you really look closely at what they're doing and what they're accomplishing, very often it isn't very much. Well, being busy and being productive are two different things. Absolutely. You know, you could, you know there's, I have a procedure called effective time management, which I wrote in conjunction with some coworkers that I had when I was working for a consulting company up in Chicago, which trained me to do this. Um, you know, there's the 
there's the urgent and unimportant task. Now, if you can identify what those are and minimize that, then you you know you you get a you get a sense of you know productivity because you're capturing that time because time is always lost. I find that the biggest challenge that a lot of business owners have is time management because they're overwhelmed with the amount of things they need to right. do in a day because they don't know how to delegate and they might right. not have the right people on the bus and a combination well, think, of things. So, yeah, I think that's probably true for most people in everything that they do, that time management is key and it's really hard to get a handle on that. You know, um, especially because there are so many things that people feel the need to do. And, you know, there are so many uh, requirements in our personal and business lives today that just take time. You know, and it sometimes it's very hard to accelerate the time that you're going to spend on a task when it's uh, it just has to go through a certain process. How do you how do you deal with that? Well, there are different tools. Um I like, you know, the Ben Franklin approach, you know, where you write down, you know, the day timers they used to have way back when. You just write down, you schedule your week in blocks and you schedule your day according to what needs to be accomplished that day. Little to-do lists are always good because you always feel good when you check them off. And then, you know, because I think by writing things down, you can actually look and see what, in order of priority what, what is most important you know, versus just jumping from one thing to the other, like a firefighter. You know, I see a lot of firefighters in my consulting work. And I look at it, you know, and and have to refrain from judgment because they need to see it for themselves. But I do have tools. I have the, like I said, the effective management procedure, which defines the different types of activities that occur on a daily basis along with a time log. So I suggest take take a time log for a week, and then we'll sit down and take a look at how you're spending your time. And I actually implemented that at uh, Dharma Yoga Studio. A lady named Natalie, a partner there, actually reported back to me how useful that was for her to actually sit down and write down how she's spending her time. Hmm. Because, you, you know, awareness is the greatest agent for change. If you're not aware, Absolutely. you're not going to change. So, so this is this is true. Reporting back to herself, and she was an incredibly honest woman who actually benefited from that. And then I do this on a daily basis myself, and I drive myself crazy. I'm like, oh my god, I spent all this time on that. But at least, <laughs> at least I, I can kick myself in the butt and say, oh my god, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really no different. I mean, the reason that I can share my stories and experience, strength and hope with other workaholics is because I'm a workaholic myself. <laughs> These are my recovery tools. And and I think in the day and age that we live in, um, a lot of people find themselves in this um, cycle. And, right. and I think but it's it, important but at least to take you're, a breath. But it, you know what? But at least you're aware that you're a workaholic. I would say that a lot of people who are workaholics are not aware that they even have a problem. And they don't see it as a problem. It's become It's become the right. way of life. This is the thing. This has become more important than maybe taking a few hours to, you know, be with your family or friends or just put this off. I mean, you know, I I have become more cognizant of my time since I care for my elderly parents, and and I know they're not going to be around forever. And so I I cut cut it off at a certain time, and I 
make sure that I'm there for that time during the day right. to be fully I, present in the moment. I, I think that's great, and that's the key, and no matter what you're doing is to be fully present. I have a question for you, which I know will be of interest to people listening, especially if they're involved in small to medium-sized companies. What's your take on the new health care law and whether it's a positive or a negative for small to medium-sized companies? Oh, my God. Don't get me going. I, I, can't, I don't well, know where to begin. First of all, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. It applies to employers with 50 employees and above. And um, there are some positive aspects to it because it makes people aware that this is important. You know, a, uh, a healthy employee is a happy employee. Um, I believe that people that do not have insurance are not, you know, at all comfortable in that situation because what they do is they work in a company to get the experience to be able to go to a company and have benefits. So I advise small business owners to consider at least implementing some sort of incentive program through insurance to be able to entice their employees to stay um, and be more productive. But that takes some doing. Um, Health insurance is something that's very, very important, and, and it's very expensive. Um, and to so the money's got to come from somewhere to pay for it. Yeah. And it's going to put a lot of small business owners out of business if they have to provide it. I mean, I've talked to different clients, and they'd rather pay the fine than be stuck paying the insurance benefit because it's less really? expensive. So it's it's more of a wow. consciousness thing. I mean, it's it, it it's a, that's a tough question. It's really, I don't know, there is no easy solution, and, and the easy solution is not always the right solution. So right. Uh, business owners have to take a hard look at this and start uh, evaluating, doing a census of their own businesses and get quotes, I mean, just to prepare themselves, because I believe this is going to be in place in 2014, and, and uh, whoever does not provide the benefit will be penalized. There will be a fine that will have to be paid. Right. Um, right. either by the individual and or the employer. So yeah. it behooves us to really pay attention to production <clears throat> levels and putting that money aside. Um, I mean, we seem to have money for cell phones, cable, you know, beer, pizza going out, but when it comes to taking care of ourselves, I think we, we kind of lose track. I mean, the money is there, and it just mm-hmm. has to be... Allocated, I guess it's a, it's a yeah. kind of a yeah. consciousness thing. I think. Anyway, I mean, I, I think that employers that provide benefits are way ahead of the game. Uh, I'm glad you came to that conclusion because I totally embrace that sentiment. And no matter what it costs, I mean, people, uh, it's almost like you can't put a price on people's sense of well-being. And when somebody feels well taken care of, I mean, it, it's really priceless. And I think that will engender a lot of loyalty in companies if uh, their employees feel well taken care of. As long as they have a job and the employer can offer them <laughs> a wage, I mean, that's the flip side of that. It's, it's a tough one. And I think that business owners are challenged with that. A lot of people are looking for insurance, uh, health insurance these days. Whether they left their company or they they're, have their own businesses, they're trying to figure out how to get around that. And I think one thing that this 
new Health Care Act does is I guess it um, enables people with pre-existing conditions to access health insurance, which, it, you know, it's it, it very helpful to people that, because those are the people that need it the most. And it's kind of ironic, and insurance companies don't want to insure people. <laughs> they need it the most. <laughs> I don't know how to get it. You know, well, yeah, one. I think, you know, I think, as we said in the beginning of the program, which I can't believe is rapidly coming to a close, it just flew uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. But as we mentioned, these are very challenging, fast-changing times that we're living in, and especially so for the kind of companies that you do consulting work for. Like I said, you have your work cut out for you because uh, there's so much that's happening on a daily basis that people have to keep up with and make decisions about. And some of them are not easy decisions, like uh, with the health uh, law. I totally agree, and um, yeah, that this time just did fly by. I'm just going to leave you with a thought that I think uh, makes a lot of sense and summarizes my message to the listening audience, in particular the business owner. But it applies to anyone because when you think about it, you are your own company. You know, that's very true. <laughs> you, you know, you, whether whether you have an S corp, C corp, LLC, or you know, have an entity structure or not, you 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 personally manage your time, you have to manage your expenses, you have to do everything on a micro level you have to do. So my parting thought is to prioritize to economize and standardize to save lives. I love that. I love that. Um, to all our listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in to Monergy Life. This is your host, Robert Fisher, with my very special guest, Hilda Miller, president of HMC Consulting Group. MsBizDoc.org is her website. Please check it out. She's doing some wonderful things with small and medium-sized companies today. Hilda, thank you for being a guest on Monergy Life. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All the best. Good evening, everybody. Good evening and bye. Good evening. Bye-bye. Take care.